Hey everyone, Sam here. If you're just starting our show, you're about to hear a lot of me. I'm the GM of Pot Against the Machine. Uh, now that we've been doing this for two years, I wanted to drop in at the beginning and say hello. Uh, let you know that we've gone back and done remasters on our first few episodes because mistakes were made early on in the recording process. We had some audio quality issues. Things should sound better now, though perhaps not as good as they will in uh, a few episodes further down the line. Anyways, what you're about to hear is one of the first times this group ever played together. We were pretty nervous and maybe a little stilted together at first, but I think if you stick with us, you'll get to hear a delightfully awkward group dynamic emerge organically as we form not just an adventuring party, but a group of friends. I won't keep you much longer, I just wanted to thank you for listening to our show, or re-listening if you've been through all of this before. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, or tell a friend about us, or hit us up on any of the social media links you find in the show notes. That's it for me. This is Pot Against the Machine. The sky is a blaze of color as the eternal purple flame atop Black Hill blends into the reds, oranges, and darkening blues of the sunset. The workday is coming to a close. Workers of all shapes and sizes roll their carts, portable forges and foundries, water tanks and caches of precious sky metal, down the steep and winding road that leads from the summit to the town of Torch Below. One by one, lanterns in the houses light as lanterns in the shops are snuffed. Parents greet their families, weary from a hard day of work, and sit down for a well-earned dinner. Life in Torch is good. Quiet, stable, prosperous, and safe. All in direct contrast to the harsh plains that surround the town. And all thanks to the flame at the top of the hill. Human man, his long black hair streaked with gray, stands outside the entrance to the foundry tavern, smiling warmly. He greets everyone who enters as a friend, clapping them on the shoulders, sharing hugs with those he hasn't seen in a while, perhaps a kiss on the cheek with those he knows particularly well. The stream of citizens moves in and out, mostly in, as the sky steadily darkens overhead. When the flow of customers finally seems to end, and the tavern is quite lively indeed, the man turns towards the inside, content to leave his post. But he stops when the torch catches his eye. He stares up at the flame high above the town, now the only light against a cloudy night sky. The huge purple flame flickers and suddenly erupts twice as tall as normal. The flames die back over several seconds, flicker out, come back on again smaller than ever before. Reflexively, the man at the foundry takes a single step towards Torch Hill. The flame sputters one last time before winking out entirely. The black hill looms, almost invisible against the starless sky. The torch is out. Welcome to Pod Against the Machine. Pod Against the Machine. Welcome to Pod Against the Machine, not the only actual play podcast, but the only one I'm talking about right now. My name is Sam, and I'll be your host and your GM, and you're going to hear entirely too much of my voice soon. So we're going to get things started with the first of many, many rolls. I need everyone to roll for initiative. 
So soon. I have a guess. Oh, that's a nat one. So I'm gonna lay that out. Let's let's get started the right way. And with a nat three to follow that up. All right, we got a nat three for Vargas. What's the total there? Uh, his would be a four. I was wallowing in shame. Uh, six total. Okay. Uh, Brixby rolled a six for a big nine. Cool. Uh oh. How did I? How did my natural eight end up in first place with a <laughs> total of twelve? All right. Well, then with first place, you get the honors of introducing yourself first and go around the table in initiative order. Hey, I'm Jeff, uh, and I am playing Asher. I don't know how much info we're going to reveal beyond that. And, I, and I'm and i right. super charismatic and good behind a microphone, so yeah, it'll be great. Why did I go first? That's like the most awkward one. <laughs> Listeners will look back on this and think, how did this rock star, <laughs> this, this Tony Award winning person have such a terrible, terrible start to the podcast? All right, let's roll to um, Zach. Uh, I'm Zach. Uh, I'll be playing Brixby Rent Tail. Uh, and um, I've been playing uh, role-playing games for, I don't know, on and off for about a decade. And uh, started with Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. But I love Pathfinder, and I'm very excited to play with all of you. All right, uh, we'll go to Izzy. Hey, I'm Izzy. Uh, I will be playing Kira, Kira Smith, but spelt with a Y, so that it's, you know, fantasy. Um, I have been playing role-playing games, uh, mostly play-by-post since I was a kid. Uh, tabletop has been kind of my quarantine sourdough. So instead of making food for my family, I just got really invested in various tabletop games, and I'm super stoked to learn more. All right, and last but not least, Jero. Uh, I'm not sure about the not least part. <laughs> uh, I am Jero, and uh, like everybody else, I've been playing role-playing games for quite a while. Uh, played a lot in school, uh, then stopped for a long time, which may or may not had to do with a certain edition of the game coming out that I was not a super big fan of. Uh Got back into it later, and then moved on to Pathfinder after that. And I am playing Vargas, also known as Vargas No Clan and Vargas the Broken. He is a uh, real delight. Life of the party. All right, and as I said before, I am Sam. I'll be the game master, so I'm playing all of the characters who aren't important enough to name yet. And... um. In case this is your first actual play podcast or your first experience with Pathfinder or tabletop role-playing games in general, just go over the concept for a second. Pathfinder is a pen and paper, or in this case, laptop and microphone game wherein the players, those wonderful people you just heard from, each play the role of one of the main characters in a world that one person, me, uh, presents and populates with puzzles, perils, monsters, and non-player characters. Uh, you've likely heard of Dungeons & Dragons. Pathfinder was spun off from that game about a decade ago by people who wanted to make sure that their role-playing games had, had as much math in them as possible. I'll also be adjudicating the player's successes and failures according to the rules of the game, the numbers on their character sheets, and the numbers they roll on their dice. And together, we're going to tell an epic story. 
Uh, the stakes are real. The characters can die at any time, and I think anyone on this cast can tell you, uh, can attest to the fact that I don't pull punches. I may accidentally kill characters from time to time. <laughs> um, the story we're going to be playing is The Iron God's Adventure Path from Paizo Publishing. It takes place in a unique part of Paizo's primary campaign setting, the world of Galarian in the nation of Numeria. Numeria is a rugged, barren country where few crops grow, few wild animals roam, and many of those who do are mutated, toxic, and dangerous, if not outright alien. The land is scattered with strange artifacts and ruins, metal men who walk and think on their own, peculiar chemicals that warp bodies and minds, and of course nefarious, power-hungry people who are out to gather these artifacts, control the power they grant, and destroy any who stand in their way. Just, you know, your standard stuff. Um, so, introductions aside, how's everybody feeling? I mean, look, it, we, it's not like we're gonna die today, right? That's, that's how that usually works, is what I'm told. <laughs> so. Theoretically, we'll make it through at least the first session. I mean, yeah. if, if I roll as well as I introduce myself, this doesn't bode well for Asher. We deeply entertained. But on the plus side, none of you rolled in the double digits on your first roll of the podcast, so we got that out of the way. I feel like we've said that before. Setting the tone. Well, the town of Torch, where we'll be uh, playing tonight, has long enjoyed a singular claim to prosperity, a violet flame that burns atop Black Hill in the heart of the town. This flame burns incredibly hot and is usually the size of a bonfire. The violet energy is allowing the smelting of all manner of sky metal. Torch is one of the only locations where sky metals can be worked with relative ease outside of the city of Starfall, and its entire economy has risen around these purple flames. Traveling smiths come from across the continent to pay for the opportunity to work with them. Of course, Torch needs all the visiting trade and coin it can gather, for while the town's distance from Starfall makes it inconvenient for the Technic League to maintain a permanent presence here, the taxes and tariffs it charges the Numerian town on a monthly basis are significant. The town prospers, but the bulk of its income does not belong to it. Which is why, when the fire atop the hill suddenly go out, the town is in trouble indeed. Eight days have passed without so much as a spark from the top of the Black Hill. Rumors are starting to take hold and the townsfolk are growing uneasy. Skilled artisans are packing up their supplies and leaving town, taking the lifeblood of Torch with them. We join our story on a muddy fire day morning. The air smells of acidic rain and the bustle of market day more subdued than normal, to be sure, is just starting to fill the air. We zoom in on the front porch of the Evercandle Inn. The proprietors have set up a station there for their guests to clean their boots after a day out in the waste. There are low, wide buckets of water, brushes of varying stiffness, and pats of saddle soap and polish, along with several sturdy wooden chairs. At this moment, only one of these chairs is occupied. Jeff, why don't you introduce us to the owner of the Muddy Boots? The muddy boots belong to uh, a strapping man. He's tall, about six foot three, and has brown hair underneath a, a leather, somewhat traditional-looking, uh, what we would know as a cowboy hat, uh, and otherwise his garb, which really doesn't match his hat to begin with, looks a little out of place here. Uh, if you just saw him, you might think. He belongs in the desert and has no... Why on earth would he be this far from presumably where he's dressed for? Uh, but nevertheless, he is here for reasons. And he 
has sort of a half smile as he wipes the mud off a mildly successful foray out into the surroundings. All right, and as Asher is sitting out on the porch, he hears a sudden thump from inside the building behind him. When he would uh, call out and say, Is everything all right in there? And the uh, voice calls back the voice belonging to the elderly uh, proprietor of the inn, Social Musgrave, uh, calls out, I've fallen and I can't get up. Ah, I've never heard that phrase before, but I think it may catch on as both descriptive and potentially. Never mind, I'll be right there. And he runs in to uh, uh, lift her up. Uh, after a quick scan of the room, he finds her behind the, the front desk. Um, and she's uh, just sort of on the floor there trying to push herself up while she's fallen off her chair. He'll uh, sort of respectfully and generally hold out his arm for her to steady herself on and carefully sit her back up on her chair. Are you injured at all from the fall? Uh, no, no. I'm quite all right. Thank you for, for your assistance. It's just this this headache is driving me mad. It's three days now. I guess I, I tried to get up. I got dizzy. A headache for three days? Are you typically one to have such maladies? Is this normal for you? Uh, before this, never sick a day in my life. But I don't know. That's, I've heard others around town complaining of the same ailment. But, uh... Jorm Kite hasn't been able to find a cause. He, he thinks it might just be a, a mental thing. Mental thing? Out of, uh, concern? Dress reaction, perhaps, to the, the torch being out. Yes, I know that's uh, more than a small source of concern for the town. If you could uh, help me back um, to my room, I, I don't think I'll be able to prepare lunch today. You'll be uh, better off going out to the market to... To find a meal. Of course, that's no nothing to concern yourself about. And he'll uh, he'll walk her slowly back to her room. And she's you know very thankful and goes slowly back to her room, uh, accepting Asher's assistance. And um, we zoom out from the Evercandle Inn and over onto the uh, river that sort of bisects the town, running uh, just south of the Black Hill. The Selen's Whisper, a small barge, drifts further upstream than usual this morning. Captain Jorgo Danning frowns as he looks over the paltry market date crowds and drops anchor just a few hundred yards from the square. Normally, coming into Torch at this time of day, especially on fire day, the barges would plug up the river into town so thick you could walk from one to the other and never see the murky, polluted water beneath your feet. Hells, merchants would be setting up stalls on their decks rather than fighting for a spot in Market Square. This week, though, is different. The traffic is going, not coming. Space is plentiful. Merchants are few, far between, and oddly subdued. Jorgo locks the anchor and wheel in place with a grunt, staring up at the black hill in the distance. Guess you are right, Brixby. He calls over to the other person standing on the deck. Torch ain't got no torch. Zack, why don't you introduce the person Jorgo's talking to? Uh, so, Brixby, um kind of a four foot one to four foot two gray straight-haired rat folk or yosoki uh sort of waddles his not considerable but somewhat portly bulk over to the captain and regards the black mountain 
I told you, Captain. I heard that the torch was out. I'm... I'm afraid I'm not going to get anything for what I've brought. Well, I'm afraid we might all be losing money today. Oh, uh, by... I'm here to pick up an order, and I'm guessing if the torch is out, no one can work. Uh, my... My shipment won't be ready in time, and my buyers will be out money, and... Just a nightmare. Nothing seems to work, eh, Cap? And he elbows him right about shin level. Uh, Jorgo smiles down at the rat folk and uh, sort of makes the last adjustments to the boat and looks out at the paltry crowd ahead. Says, uh, well, you're already paid up. Feel free to, to hop out here. And uh, if you're heading back south, well, let me know. I'll be leaving before nightfall. Well, thank you, Captain. I uh, appreciate the safe ride and good company. Um, I'll see you if uh, my luck doesn't run out. And he ominously hops off the side of the boat. And as Brixby disembarks from the boat, we zoom out once more and head over to the north side of town. Um, up along the eastern edge of the hill, uh, where a bleachling gnome in absolutely filthy clothes is attempting to hoist an oversized burlap sack over his shoulder and uh, drag it down the street leading south, struggling under the weight for a few steps before sighing, dropping it on the ground, and tromping over to a nearby dilapidated barn and pounding on the door. He clears his throat and calls through the door. I know you're there, Tara. Come on out. I'll give you a silver if you carry my stuff to market. Uh, Izzy, who's hiding in this particular barn? Kira is a half-orc, about 6'2", 200-ish pounds. Um, technically uh, mature by half-orc standards, but grew up with a couple of human girls and desperately emulates them. So she will come out of the barn um, looking somewhere between disheveled and, you know, uh, like she's been caught. Um, but also wanting to help, and she's, oh, um, sure, I, I was just, uh, looking for some, okay, yeah, I can help, sure, and she'll go over to pick up the piece of metal. Gnome nods and, and, um, waits for her to, to pick up the, the sack and then, uh, starts walking and, uh, sort of assumes that she's following him without looking back. I heard you got mixed up in some trouble. I don't blame you, though. It's those aliens. The aliens are pulling the strings, messing things up for everyone lately. Everyone but me. The people can't smelt new parts without the torch, so they're gonna need my parts from the scrapyard. Gives her a sort of a wise smile. Uh, yeah. Tell me again about, were you saying aliens? That's what I've heard. Oh. Well, um, is anyone, who did you hear that from? Is anyone in town gonna check that out? He sort of hunches down amongst his shoulders and, and reaches into one of his dirty pockets and pulls out a, a little metal hat and uh, puts it on his head. You didn't hear it from me. And I didn't hear it from you. That's our land. Yeah, totally. Where did you want me to put this? I'm gonna leave. Start to the marketplace and look at your silver. Cool, okay, thanks. And she will hasten the way there. 
Um, all right, and we'll we'll zoom out from from that road and uh, pan down the side of the Black Hill across the street over a sprawling graveyard, and we see generations of torch torches dead laying buried there. Their final resting places marked with short, simple headstones. An ancient human man, his hair long and white, climbs out of a freshly dug grave, the last in a row of ten, all still open, waiting for occupants. He wipes the sweat from his forehead with the back of his arm, picks up his shovel, and leans it against a nearby headstone. Muttering a prayer to himself, he moves his right hand in a spiral, nods solemnly, and turns back to the Chapel of the Wanderer. The head, he sees a man exiting the chapel, his boots pointed towards the center of town. Mylon Radley, the old Ferasmond gravedigger, jogs after his guest. Jiro, who's the old man chasing? He is chasing a late middle-aged Kellid, uh, also about 6'2". That seems to be a, a running theme here. Long, kind of square face, would normally have pretty normal features, except for the fact that the entire right side of his head appears to be horrifically burned. And his right arm appears to have been replaced with a poorly made metal prosthetic. Radley runs up to uh, Vargas uh, as he sees him walking away and a, a little bit out of breath says, I've heard rumors about you, Mr. No Clan. Rumors that there's trouble following you or that you bring trouble. I, I don't, I won't ask you if they're true. I just want to point out that this is a dangerous time right now with the torch out. We don't need any more trouble. He'll turn and he stares at the old man, kind of got a frown on his face. Trouble is something, yes, that does follow me. However, in this case... And he turns and looks towards the center of town where the torch isn't burning anymore. It looks like it beat me here. He sighs, shoulders slump down a little bit, and he starts heading back out towards town. The old man will just sort of stand there and and watch him go, do another um, spiral with his right hand, and then uh, turn back and head back towards the chapel. Now, as Vargas is uh, walking down the street, he's walking at about the same pace as a, a man just a little ways up ahead in uh, what we would call now a cowboy hat, who happens to be almost the exact same height as him, as they're both heading south on the road towards the uh, marketplace. The Fire Day market this week is lackluster. The vendors are few and far between, and none of the regular foundries and smiths have bothered to set up their carts and sell sky metal wares to the highest bidder. Instead, most of the vendors here are selling food, clothing, and traveling gear, and most of the customers filling up the market square are surly folks from out of town looking to get their supplies for the trip and head home. There are a few signs of what the market once was. Sanville Tret, the traveling technology dealer, has set up his sizable stall and is entertaining a few customers with stories of the road. Oscar and Terrett, the smelt runner, normally in charge of access to the flames at the top of the hill sits up on her perch on the second floor deck of the tax collector's office on the edge of the square looking down at the proceedings with a perpetual frown on her face brixby you've come into the market square from the pond on the north side the rest of you are on foot heading into the square from the southeast 
you all happen to be converging in the same place at pretty close uh, to the same time. Tell me, what are you all doing? Ah, uh, so Brixby is headed to Sandville. Oddly enough, so is Asher. Is Kira still following um, your scrappy gnome? Yeah, um, Garrett will um, just sort of lead um, Kara to the closest totally empty space um, in the Market Square and say, just just dump it all out here, just right here. Sure thing. She will do so. And uh, Vargas is just basically kind of wandering in a mope. He seems like he's just kind of lost. Like, it looks feels like this is something he's been doing every day since he got to town. He just wanders the streets and happened to head towards the market today. Okay. Sandville Tritt has a little bit of a, a crowd around him as he's uh, telling some story out from the road. Doubtless um, exaggerated, though. You could never tell. The man gets all over Numeria, so perhaps he's seen the uh, gargoyles and the uh, walking machines that he claims to have. But uh, he does, when he sees Brixby, uh, his eyes light up a little bit and he winds his story down and sort of implies to the customers surrounding him that uh, showtime's over. Uh, he claps his hands together as the rat approaches and says, Well, 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 <laughs> if it isn't old Brix, got anything special for me? Oh, Sandville, I uh, didn't mean to break up your show there. Didn't realize you had such a uh, captive audience. But yeah, I might have something special for you. He smiles his cheese yellow teeth. Yeah, well, I was just passing the time. Ain't, ain't nobody here buying anything today, and, and they don't have anything worth selling, though. Of course, my luck could change if you found something out on the wastes. Well, mate, uh, I don't think many people in Torch would say that today is a day of good luck for them. But, Sandville Tret, you may. And he kind of pulls out uh, this wrapped in an oilcloth uh, object uh, in his kind of fat rat paw, um, slowly undoing the four corners of it to reveal it to Sandville. Um, looking over his shoulder a bit to almost add an air of mystery to the value of the item that he is presenting. Now, Mr. Tripp peers down at the item, adjusting glasses that he is not wearing. He says, well, 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 what have we here? Ah, uh, well, you know, mate, uh, anything that comes from up there, as he gestures towards the sky, we can only guess what it does. Uh, but I think I've managed to figure this one out. It, uh, and he holds it up to his face. Does something to your voice? And then he puts it back in Sandville's hand. Uh, he laughs and, and takes it, looking it over, and says, Wow, I haven't seen one of these before. Very interesting, very interesting. He holds it up, um, at, up like into the sun to sort of look it over. And he, he reaches into his pocket, and um, you can hear coins jingling in there. And then he seems to, he stops himself and sort of bites his lips and, and cocks his head to the side. And he says, you know, I'm kind of saving my money today for something. So I hear rumors that as beautiful as this little contraption you brought me is, 
I hear rumors that a full-fledged automaton came out from under the Black Hill a few days ago. Somebody in this town has got what they call a gearsman. Only one I've ever seen or heard of outside of Starfall. And I'd love to get my hands on that. Mate, I think you and a good part of this country would like to get their hands on a gearsman. Uh, and not be in the hands of one. <laughs> he pulls on his non-existent fat rat collar. Uh, but that said, I mean, I, like you said, if no one's buying him, happy to pack this up and, you know, see what that gnome down there might be willing to pay for it. He glances over at Garrett, who is arranging his pile of scraps on the ground with his feet, sort of just kicking pieces this way and that to spread them out. And then he says, well, I could give you, let's call it, let's call it 15 gold for this. Sanville, um, you know, as a rat, my eyes might not be great, but these, and he flips one of his ears, are fantastic. And I heard that jingling in your pocket. It sounds like you could part with 20. Why don't you roll a diplomacy check? <laughs> uh, first roll, and it is something with a negative one. Oh, fantastic. We got a seven here. That's an eight on the die from my brand new Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice. <laughs> so he kind of uh, frowns and says, yeah, like I said, Bricks, these are, these are lean times, and I'm holding out hope that I can get my hands on that automaton. Well... Maybe lean for you, he grabs his stomach, but not for me. I'll take 15 gold. I gotta stay fed. And he, uh, with a little bit of defeat in his face that he's trying to hide, thrusts the piece out and holds out another pole. And he pulls the coin out and hands it over in return for the item, which he'll, he'll place off in his cart. Then, yes, Kara did get the uh, silver piece from uh, the gnome. You yeah. parted with it rather reluctantly. You guys are rich. Rolling it. Pleasure is always, Sandville. And Asher, who's standing you know, sort of nearby, patiently waiting, does kind of lean in and say, Did I? And, and of course, apologies if I overheard something not meant for others to hear, but you say a full-fledged automaton has appeared. In town. That's what they say. They say Connor Bain himself pulled it out from under the hole in the uh, over up yonder. And he, he points along the river over to it, towards where it ends at the base of the hill. When did Connor do this? When did he locate this gearsman? Just a few days ago from what I heard, but they say he went back under the hill and he hasn't come back. This is going to uh, kind of wander by... Uh, playing with uh thing in his left hand kind of looks almost like a little black credit card. And without really looking up at anyone, he just says, Automatons, they're always bad luck. He should have just left it in the damn ground. That's no way to talk. This, this country was built on the backs of those metal men. Oh, I don't know if those are the backs this country was built on, mate. But I think those metal men did the building. Nasher will look down at the ground and look back up and shake his head. Like, I certainly don't see the backs of any middle men here on the ground. Perhaps 
that's eroded over time. <laughs> he st- stares at Asher, kind of cocks his head like a like a dog who's just trying to figure out what you just said. All right, so I think by this time Kira's walking by has, has taken the alien news, not necessarily to heart, but is very much still trying to figure out something has changed and she wants to know what it is. Um, so I think she'll walk past probably Asher and hear that and be like, uh, I like your hat and then continue to keep going because she wants to get out of here. And he'll tip it sort of respectfully as she passes. I don't know whether she notices, but he'll say, uh, thank you. I like your colorful outfit. Uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, you got her. Uh, she will stop short and be like, oh, really? Thanks. I, I made it with my mom's help. She she and I kind of do this thing where we take some of my dad's old stuff and then we'll take it back. So it like sort of matches my sister's. But now I'm talking too much and you probably don't care about that. Um, hi, I'm Kira. I'm kind of looking for work around. You don't happen to have any, do you? Hello, Kira. I am Asher Helich. As far as work to offer, uh, I am not native to this town. Uh, the only thing that has caught my attention is that, well, I guess I should say two things. Apparently there's been an automaton that's been found, but of greater concern to me is that the man who pulled it out is not yet emerged from the hole from which he found the automaton to begin with. Connor Bain is missing, or presumed missing. Well... Has anyone gone to find him? And he'll look to Sandville. <laughs> Sandville shrugs. Uh, he says, uh, well, you know, I just rolled in this morning. I think that'd be a better question for the just about anybody here. I'd think you guys would know more than I do. I'm just a, just a guy who talks to people. It's at uh, about that time that uh, Oscar Unterit, the uh, squat uh, half-orc who was... Uh, known throughout town as the smell runner in charge of access to the torch under normal circumstances, uh, stands up on the balcony uh, she's in, um, overlooking the marketplace, and clears her throat, uh, and cups her hands around her mouth, uh, making it herself able to be heard throughout the square. And she says, Attention! The town council has asked that I make the following announcement. The reward for relighting the torch has been doubled. 8,000 gold is available to brave souls willing to take on this great service for their town. Interested parties should report to the town hall and register with the council in order to be eligible for the reward. Please be advised in advance. We have reason to believe that this is a very dangerous undertaking. The town of Torch itself assumes no liability in the event of any personal injury and or loss of life resulting from the pursuit of this quest. Thank you. And then she sits back down in her chair, her frown returning at the earliest possible opportunity. Asher looked to Kira and say, I've certainly not heard of a more promising business opportunity. If you're not averse to danger, that sounds like more than enough reward to why to set us all up for life. Yeah, and, well, I don't know about meeting the council, but this is a good way to help people, and that's, um, that's, that's super important. Let's... Or I will do that. I guess you can do whatever you want. I I don't know. You were looking at the ground before, and that also seems fun. (laughs) Ha. Well, I do find many things on the ground from time to time. But I, for one, would uh, accompany you to see the council and register. I would hate to not register, relight the torch, and find myself 
contractually ineligible for the reward. Such technicality would be a seriously unfortunate undertaking. But yes, the whole town of Torch would need our help. And if we are the only brave souls to take on this task, then I guess that's fewer ways to split the pot. Right, so, well, speaking of looking at the ground there, uh, fantastic hat, by the way. Um, I'm interested in heading in the direction of this well-timed venture. Um, perhaps you wonderful large folks would be willing to, uh, clear my way in the crowd, and I'll follow behind. Brixby, by the way. I'm Kira. Nice to meet you. I like your, um, fur? Oh, thanks. Uh, I've had it forever. Oh, you can't even tell. It'd be kind of weird if I did it. <laughs> uh. Uh, Vargas uh, is just... He seems uh, kind of interested after hearing that announcement, but he doesn't uh, speak up or anything, but he is still standing with them. He hasn't wandered off. Well met, Brixby. I believe it. My height being slightly taller than the height of anyone else around, I am ideally suited to part the crowd before you. And what of you, quiet and disgruntled man? Are you looking for a chance to save the town and or seek fortune? Neither. But the idea of relighting the torch, and he kind of rubs his temple, that does sound promising. I've traveled a long way to see this torch, and to find out it's not lit, well, I'd rather it was lit. Two, kind of my dad's job. Not to light the torch, obviously, but it's kind of important to everyone here, so we can fix it, that's cool. Um, and as she's saying this, she's doing that, like, the thing where you, like, compare height with the person next to you, uh, with Asher. 6'3". <laughs> Shoot. Says it on my sheet. She don't lie. Uh, <laughs> it's canon. It's true. Well then, whether it be for fortune or to help the town or just because apparently you want it to be lit, I don't mean to disparage your travels. I, I have also traveled a fair distance myself. Perhaps we should head towards the council then. Sandville will snap his fingers and give you all finger guns and say, Well, if you're going under there, good luck and, and remember... First robot you find, come looking for me. I'll give you top dollar. Excellent. Don't you worry, Samville. Any robot comes after me, I'll uh, send him your way. He winks. <laughs> they start walking. Right. I would assume Kira can lead them there. Yeah, Kira would know um, where the town hall is. So she'd be pretty familiar with it. Um, when she finds her way in, uh, the place is mostly... Um, abandoned this time of day and it's a it's a market day mostly people would be shopping or they'd be home or you know they'd be working but they find there's a a receptionist sitting outside the main council chamber uh and he'll just sort of look up at them tiredly and and wave them in the main council chamber is a a large room with one big table at the center with uh six chairs around it um all uh, the table itself appears to be uh, forged from sky metal, and, you know, the chairs are nice, but there's only one person in here. Um, she's a, an elderly-looking uh, dwarf uh, by the name of Dolga Frederick, 
Kira would recognize her. Uh, no, but none of the others, I believe, have, have ever come across her. But she's the uh, head of the town council and the um, oldest town councillor who was present when the town itself was founded over a century ago. She sort of snaps up from her reverie from sitting in a room by herself in the middle of the day uh, when she realizes people are in there and uh, her eyes scan the the group as it, as you all walk in and um, as she sees Kira, uh, she smiles and, and she says Fry's Hammer Girl! Did your mother send you in her stead? Um, y- yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or no? No. No, these are my friends, kind of, I guess. We wanted to help uh, fix the torch. Well, you've certainly come to the right place for that. I, I assume you've heard today's announcement that the, the reward is being increased? Yeah, and you know, rewards are super important, but also, I just, I want the town to go back to like it was. Right? You get it. She nods solemnly and, and she says, well, uh, the, the truth is, uh, we, we need that help more than, than you can know. As um, Connor has uh, gone under the hill to try to relight the torch twice now, and the, the second time, two days ago, he, he did not come back out. We're, we're afraid that he's not coming back out, if you understand my meaning. Does he enjoy living there, perhaps? I haven't been there myself, but some people, you know, they go to visit a place and just decide I like it here. I don't plan to stay. Or leave, rather. I'm I'm afraid from what he's told me of the caves under the hill, it's it's not a place anyone would like to live. Chances are he, he told me of some of the dangers under there, and chances are he found something beyond that was just too much for him and his group to handle. Now... This town depends on Master Bane uh, more than anyone save the the torch itself. Without the flame burning, he's our only hope of keeping the Technic League off our backs until we can figure out what to do with him gone. Uh, At that, uh, Vargas is going to perk up quite a bit more. And he's gonna kind of muscle his way to the front, like basically shoving through the other three without caring too much about. And he says, "The League. What's this town's relationship with the League?" We pay tribute to the League every month in taxes. A large sum of what we collect from the smelters and artisans who use the torch. Without the torch itself, we're unable to collect enough taxes, and without enough taxes, we will draw the League's eye on us. They don't keep a formal presence here, but if they're not getting their money, they will come. You can see uh, he's kind of clenching his fist, and uh, Brixby would probably be the only one that would notice, but the fist on his right side really doesn't look like it should be able to clench, but he's clenching it anyway. Like, mechanically, it doesn't look like it should. And he just nods and says, This girl orc, whatever she's doing, I'm helping now. If it's going to help you with the League, I'm in. Also, it's Kira. But, you know, we'll get there. 
Well, that's... As... As you've likely been told, the reward is 4,000 gold for reigniting the torch. It's an additional 4,000 gold for rescuing Connor from whatever fate has befallen him beneath the hill. If you can bring him back alive, there's a, a scroll of resurrection that we keep in reserve that we're prepared to use on him if, heavens forbid, he is no longer on this plane, but... If we don't need it for him, we we can pass it to whoever rescues him. Uh, right, so you mentioned, um, pardon me, and he moves Vargas's huge metal fist from in front of his face so they can see him <laughs> down there. Um, you mentioned Corner coma out of the Torch Mountain at least once. Did he say that he saw anything? Odd? Anything? Out of sorts. Well, Connor was... He wasn't even the first into the cave. Um, he was actually led the third group in. He, um... And he's the only one who returned. And, of course, he's gone back a second time. Hasn't re-emerged, but... He... He said that he found... Uh... Enormous vermin and horrible scavengers... Strange humanoids who could blend into the walls and into shadows. They believed that the caves were connected to the Darklands, but of more immediate interest was his discovery of a wall of solid metal deep in the caves. A wall made of the sky metal ally known as Glaucite. He said it was like the kind we mined from the hills and the surrounding plains, but formed into a structure with doors. It was near one of these doors that Connor found the broken automaton that he brought back after his first expedition. The mention of the Darklands, uh, Brixby kind of has a similar response uh, to Vargas, and he's more intensely focused, um, as it's something he's a bit more familiar with. Um, yeah, I'm game. Seems we we're all in accord then. I, for one, would like to help this town. And a little extra coin never heard. In my line of work, things uh, can get expensive rather quickly. Well, if you're officially registering for the job, I can give each of you a writ that will, you can show to the merchants in town for a flat 20% discount on any gear you need to purchase. I wish I could offer you better than that, but it's the best we could negotiate. Everyone's hurting in these times. Uh, further, Valby, Connor's adopted daughter, has closed down her father's tavern, the Foundry, for the time being. She told me that any group that's going into the caves to look for her father can use the tavern free of charge as a headquarters and a place to rest between forays. And, uh, the entrance to the caves is, is underwater. You'll need to be able to swim a bit to get into the caves. Joram Bright, Joram Kite, has agreed to cast water breathing on any group to aid entering the caves, free of charge, of course. You can find him at the Temple of Bry, or up at Crowfeather Park Palace when you're ready to go. Swimming? Well, that's certainly not something I have lots of experience doing, but I catch on quickly. Yes, I believe we are officially registering. Is that not right, my new companions? Put my name down. Me as well. Like I said before, if it stops the League from destroying this town, I'm in. She nods and pulls out uh, four little 
sheets of official-looking torch town government cardstock, puts her signature on them, and uh, slides them over on the table towards you. Just, just put your name on these, and you can show them to any vendor in town. They'll give you a discount. Well, anyone who's from in town, the ones that from out of town, may be a bit harder to negotiate with. Do you have any other questions about what you might face down there? Did anyone else come back from that other group? The first time Connor came back? Uh, his, his whole group came back the first time. Um, there were several of them, but he, he took all the same people back, so several seasoned adventurers, and none of them have emerged. Oh. There was a, a group of, of halflings who went in uh, the day after the flames went out, and we've never seen them. Again, um, the second was a, a group of of local thugs from the, the Rope Fists. They, they never emerged, and they were, they were worshippers of Bry from out of town, who went under as well, and as I've said, none of them, none of them have returned. Perhaps the vermin you mentioned were attracted to those seasoned adventurers. Those odors may very well have been their undoing. Akira thinks that's very funny. It's a, it's a dark matter. I don't personally find the humor in it. So, um, attended to the question I asked earlier about uh, what Corner mentioned that he faced down there. Have you any recommendations of um, what we might use this quite generous discount card to purchase to uh, best prepare ourselves? Um, Additionally, uh, if there's any, like, knowledge rolls that I or anyone can roll, I would be down to do so. I would say that it's tough to roll much of a knowledge roll um, based on just hearing uh, what she's, she said secondhand. Um, you could roll a, a knowledge engineering on the, uh, the glassite wall with a, um, you know, fully formed structure with doors. Um, as far as the uh, vermin under the mountain and, and uh, maybe a knowledge local for the uh, people who can blend into the walls. I can do local. Yeah, I have um, engineering, engineering, and I can do whatever. I, do we want to roll on the engineering first? It's a adjusted 20 for the local, for the uh, chameleon people. Um. Yeah, with a, a 20 knowledge local, uh, you'd say that based on her references to uh, the Darklands, this sounds like they might be Skulks, which is a um, humanoid race of um, Darklands dwellers with smooth skins and penetrated eyes that um, they sh seem to shift and change to mimic their surroundings. And I can answer uh, one question for you. Uh, weaknesses. Is there anything that uh, they're particularly weak to? Um, I, they don't have any particular weaknesses. I would say that they're generally known as cowardly, um, sort of survivalists in society. They're sort of not uh, high up on the Darklands food chain. So he'll say uh, the creatures. The ones that she was speaking of who seemed to blend into their surroundings. I think they're skulks. Cowardly lot. We shouldn't have any trouble from them. 
Yeah, I've uh, unfortunately heard of them. Um, had proximity to the Darklands before where I'm from. Um, I rolled a 19 on knowledge engineering. So. With uh, 19 on, on that wall, that sounds like the kind of structure um, from a more fully formed uh, chunk of Numerian ruin than anybody had ever thought was out this far from Starfall. I'm sure in the um, in the Feldales and in the area around the capital are plenty of really big pieces of Numerian ruins, but and this sounds like if it's got doors, the kind of thing you might be able to walk inside. I doubt one point makes a huge difference, but I did get an adjusted 20 on knowledge <laughs> engineering. So what about those <laughs> wicked awesome secrets that Brixby doesn't quite put together? You know all of the exact same things, and <laughs> you know that um, <laughs> that glaucite is an, an ore of adamantine and iron mixed together. Excellent. It'll be helpful for any local quizzes. Yeah, if you find yourselves in pub trivia. I mean, Val Bain might be bored. She could run a trivia night for us to kind of ease her mind during the worry about her two-year-old adopted dad. I guess I also kind of stopped my question to ask if I could roll a knowledge roll, but I did want to see if she had any recommendations of things that we should pick up uh, to bring down there with our uh, cool discount card that she gave us. Uh, well, Dolga looks over the lot of you, and um, she has kind of the appraising eye of, of somebody who probably did a, a fair bit of this sort of thing in another life, but it's certainly settled down for the last several decades. She says, uh, based on the look of you, I'd buy some healing. Look like you've got a holy person between you. It's subjective, but probably true. I mean, I don't know, I just met these guys, but it seems like... Personally, I wouldn't go under there without a cleric. Have to be mad. I'm not complaining if you're willing to try. Perhaps we can convince that uh, Brown Kite to come along with us on our journey. She gives you a look and says, "I'm not losing another of this town's uh, most important citizens. No offense, of course, to that hill. I'm afraid Mr. Kite will not be following you." He's long past adventuring age, much like I am anyways. Now, she and she pauses again, and then she gets up out of her chair and then heads over to a, a bureau in the back of the room, uh, flips it open, and she says, um, This is... Consider this an advance on the reward. And she pulls out four uh, potions and brings them over. Wouldn't want you keeling over too easily under there. You're most kind. I won't make you identify those. Those are four potions of cure light wounds. Much obliged. Thank you. Okay, anything else for uh, Dolga? Or? If the party's about to leave, Kira will hang back a little and um, ask Dolga privately-ish, have, have you heard from my mom at all? Uh, she's been... She's been laid up with a terrible headache for the, the past couple of days. She'd insisted on going with Connor on his second journey, but uh, came down with a headache. 
with that that awful headache that's been crippling a third of the town uh, before they could leave. Suppose it's for the best, given that they haven't emerged. As far as I know, she's she's alive and well, just struggling with that pain from whatever's causing this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm familiar. Okay, I just wanted to check in. Thanks. She will away. Um, and Brixby turns to the rest of the group. So, uh, when I came into Tulch, um, I wasn't exactly prepared to go delving under some rock. Not to say that I'm not excited to, and he visibly is. Um, that said, I do work of this nature on a regular basis, so I don't need much. Although, healing sounds prudent. Um, do we want a shop? Well, I'm grateful for the discount provided. I, I have little in the way of coin for that to make much of a difference, I'm afraid. I don't mind for accompanying you on your riveting shopping adventure, but I won't be doing any purchasing myself. Kira's gonna offer him a single silver piece and be like, I just got this. We can split it. You're very kind, uh, Kira. Is that, does that mean no? Well, uh, you know, I'd like to think that that could be the start of our party coffer right there. That could be the beginning of our communal riches, perhaps. Um, but I do think that even with my acquisitions today, and he jingles his pocket cautiously, I don't really have them enough to purchase the magical healing we're lacking. Um, I am quite thankful for that potion, though. Vargas will uh, say, so the three of you call yourself adventurers, but none of you are kitted out for an adventure. Oh, I consider myself more of a local explorer, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind adventuring. Uh, look down here, mate. I uh, bring a specialized set of skills that healing falls outside my wheelhouse and is usually picked up by a comparable specialist. But uh, I wouldn't consider myself not kitted for adventure there, uh, junk punch. He just kind of glares at you. <laughs> I do like your arm. I think it's neat. I'm also terrible at nicknames. That one wasn't terrible. No, perhaps we should all call him Junk Punch from now on, henceforth. But no, I I do not need much in the way of wares. As far as adventuring goes, I journeyed far and wide. The land provides. Um, I will say the one thing I am not well outsuited to deal with, um, and... Please don't look at me like I'm talking about myself, but, uh, she mentioned vermin. Sometimes vermin can be so small that you can't cut them. You can't squish them. I'm not quite good at handling anything like that. I've, uh, seen acid fire be thrown before. Perhaps that might be worth picking up. I'm sure if anything like that comes along, Junk Punch can smash it with his fists. Something tells me nothing can withstand his might. Uh, actually, at 
the mention of you saying punch it and him talking about acid, uh, Vargas is actually going to, for the first time that you guys have seen, smile slightly. Still doesn't say anything, but he just gets a little bit of a smile on his face. Oh, now there's the looker. Must like his nickname. (laughs) I can't say I've done too much adventuring, but, you know, I sometimes go on the local hunting parties, and I've gotten pretty good at smashing stuff, or slashing stuff, I guess whichever one we need. So I guess the, the question is, where do you all go? I might regret this later, but I, I mean... Like, legit, I have 18 gold. I could buy some minor beneficial alchemical items, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, if people don't think that's prudent, I'm because, I mean, I don't really know the capabilities of anybody in the party yet. Uh, I'm Brixby would be just as inclined to waddle on and assume that he can handle anything he's handled before. This is so his wheelhouse. I'm going to say uh, Vargas, the character, doesn't think we need anything, but (laughs) Jero, the player, knows that we don't have any healers, so I don't have much gold myself left. I have exactly one gold piece, but I am (laughs) happy to put that towards anything we think we might want to uh, purchase before heading out. Yeah, I, again don't want to brag but i do have one silver piece in addition to my one remaining gold so like guys if we need something that's very small and cheap Whew. i got and i'm it. willing to throw in my six silver pieces <laughs> i don't even know why we're adventuring with wealth like this we should just retire become <laughs> landed gentry day. we've already made it <laughs> nobles such as ourselves um yeah i mean i don't know meta but i can't think off the top of my head of loads of healing that our party could use because i mean with the amount of money that we have we could pull off buying a scroll um but we don't know what we would do with a scroll of anything even say infernal healing um so um I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, Brixby as a character would be more inclined to hold on to his gold if he doesn't know what he's going to spend it on. Uh, but at the same time, if anybody in the party could come up with a thing that they themselves lacked or that they felt that we needed, he would not be uh, too conservative with the purse strings. I think in terms of like actual gear, like I got sunrod, I got torches, I have rope. So the only thing I could really think of would be, like I said before, like healing, but we don't really have enough for healing. Like even a potion's 50, so... Kind of feels like that decision's been made. Uh, A Desmond friend of mine used to say, uh, the road will provide. He was kind of an idiot, and he asked for food and gold quite often, but um, on occasion he was right, so... Perhaps what we need that we can't afford, we'll find. If only we could locate this automaton. Uh, a friend merchant offered to pay us handsomely for it. I have a feeling that merchant might pay for a good deal of what we find under there. If there's uh, an entire structure made of clockite. So shall we? I'm ready. Indeed. Sounds like we should stop by the Temple of Bri and find Kite so that we can 
and he'll look a little bit less confident for a moment uh, as he says, swim into this cave. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, don't let the uh, confidence drip off you too much there, but it doesn't look like you're the one who's going to rust about 20% of their body. No offense. Cool arm. Like a little offense. Yeah, and about the arm, like I said, like, Brixby's probably the only one who would notice it with your whole, like, junker type thing. Like, it does not look like a normal prosthetic arm. Like, it doesn't look like it has joints or anything in it. It looks like like there's, like, a shoulder pauldron, maybe from a piece of armor, and then just, like, strips and chunks of metal. And it does not look like it should be moving at all, but it's moving exactly like a normal human arm. Like, you've probably never seen something that works like that. You've got my interest. <laughs> Alright, the um, Temple of Bri is, is pretty close to Town Hall. Um, it's the largest religious establishment in uh, the Town of Torch. Um, so inside, there's um, very few people in there just now. Uh, middle of the work day it's a busy place even if the market isn't busy but um there is an older man at at the back of the main part of the temple um working at working on a a series of um cogs and widgets trying to assemble something and um he doesn't seem to notice you as you come in it's a old bald human man well kira do you recognize him is that the man we're looking for i guess so i don't think i've ever met him but he's definitely the guy we're looking for uh and she'll go up and kind of like tap on his shoulder um excuse me hello can you please make my friends and i breathe underwater he (laughs) jumps a bit and touches shoulder and uh, so it spins around, one hand on his chest. So, oh my! You mustn't sneak up on someone like that here. Hey. Uh, yes, yes, um, you're coming from the, uh, town hall. You're, you're the, going under the mountain. And is, is that correct? Yep, that's the plan. Sort of, uh, mats down his, what little hair he has on the sides of his head and, um, Slides the little assemblage of gears off to the side and um, rustles through his pockets a bit and says, oh, very well, very well, let me... And he, he pulls out a rod and he says, oh, you must be careful uh, in the... in the the water is quite, quite dirty. Uh, he, you'll be able to breathe it, but I'm afraid I, I can't do anything to make the experience uh, more pleasant. Indeed. He will uh, close his eyes and uh, mutter a a prayer to Bry, the Whisper in Bronze, and call down water breathing on all four of you. With his um, considerable power as a caster and his uh, rod that he's wielding, each of you um, now has the ability to uh, breathe underwater as if breathing air. And you can also speak underwater. It doesn't make you any better at swimming, though. And, um... He says, uh... That, that should be good for... 
about six hours for each of you, so make sure you don't stay under the mountain longer than that, or you'll you'll have to hold your breath on the way back. And uh and um I can I can cast it for you again tomorrow if you need me to and, and so on and so forth. As I'm quite prepared to help in any way needed if for the rescue of, of of our dear friend Mr. Bane. Did you do this for him too? Oh yes, yes, yes. So it's a long swim then. Uh, it's, it's not far, but the the uh six hours should cover your exploration and the return trip. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the help, uh, Father. Um, we may be calling upon you uh, for assistance in the uh, healing arts uh, form. Yes, yes, we lack. yes. Oh. Well, I, I can always provide healing in in the event that it's needed. Uh, hopefully, uh, accompanied by a small donation to the temple, of course. But uh, right, yeah, I beyond will. risking our lives. Absolutely, well, I'll be sure. To give him Kira's silver piece. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... I wish you all good luck under the mountain. Thank you. I feel you may need it. I have no other questions for him. Dave. I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she said it. It's official. And okay. it's down. It's down. All right, uh, so are we heading to the, what's it called? The pond <laughs> that leads to the weeping pond at the north end of the river in town. Sounds lovely. Okay, uh, when you find your way up into this sort of seldom traveled part of town uh, where the river comes to an end in the perhaps murkiest part of the murky river that runs through town, uh, polluted as it is with the fluids that kind of plague all of Numeria. It's, um, you find a, a pond that looks like surprisingly well trafficked. There are tracks everywhere. And, um, it looks like people have been going every which way in and out of the pond and all sorts of things. And you find the water there waiting for you. And before you uh, step in to that pool, I'm going to bed. So we'll catch you next time. property of its creators, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are properties of Paizo Publishing. Please visit them at paizo.com for more information. Theme Against the Machine, written and performed by our own Zach. Please consult the show notes for additional music and sound effect licensing information. We're going to call that the first one. Awesome. (laughs) Yay, we did it.